Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God. And since the Kingdom of God is at hand, it's here now, it's in present tense because, you know, I actually was talking to somebody uh, for hours yesterday because I had to travel with them. They go to church. They they think they understand the Bible to some degree. They know they're not uh, some kind of scholar or anything, but uh, they listen to ministers. They listen to ministers on the radio and TV and on the Internet, and uh, they think they understand it. But uh, they were asking me questions about different things that uh, are supposedly doctrines in the Bible. And I says, well, how can that be? You know, if that's so, then why does it say this? And why does it say that? And he says, yeah, I, I wondered about that. Yeah, would you ever ask your pastor? Well, he's thinking about doing it, but and he has done it in, in the past. But he says, and I says, so what did he say? Well, I didn't really get an answer. And so you still keep going back to this guy? He doesn't bring up the contradictions in the Bible to the doctrines he preaches. Well, of course he doesn't, because he doesn't want to think about what how he's wrong. He only wants to think about how he's right. You have to be desirous of knowing how you're wrong. You have to be willing to admit you're wrong. You could be wrong. And willing to listen to the other side. The people who want to shut up people who have a different opinion do not love the truth. You know, people who are against free speech do not love the truth. It doesn't mean that everybody who else speaks is saying the truth. But you have to give them the opportunity to say what they think is the truth. Be able to engage in that. That's another thing that a lot of people do. They don't want to engage. Don't want to argue. We don't want to get, we don't want to have a conflict here. We want to all be in agreement. And the way we get into agreement is by not asking serious questions or talking about serious subjects or controversial subjects. We don't want to be controversial. I don't know where it says in the Bible, thou shalt not be controversial. The truth is controversial in a world filled with lies. You can write that down. That's that's a good quote. But that's... Uh, that's where we're at today. The world was filled with lies and nobody really wants to know the truth and the whole truth and provide for it. They they just don't want to know that. They want to believe they already know what to believe. And they want to think that what they believe is their salvation. That saves them. Christ taught something different. Christ said, you know, it's not just what you say. It's not even what you think. I mean, the the many who are coming in his name, doing great things evidently in his name. But he says, get you from me, I know you not. Many, they know him not. But they, they thought they did. They said they did. They did stuff in his name. But he said, get you from me, you workers of iniquity. That would be really important. I would ask, what is the works of iniquity that is causing these people to be cast out? 
cast away. You would want to know that, wouldn't you? You would want a preacher who actually tells you what those things are. That gets you cast out after all this time you thought you were saved. You thought you believed in Jesus. That you were doing things in his name. And that you were, you know, you were already, you know, you had uh, all Ollie Olson free, I'm saved. And your pastors are saying, yep, you're saved. Don't worry about it. Don't, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to th- think. You don't have to look into your own heart and soul. Or, you know, you, you, you can look into it, you know, but don't get down to the deep stuff. We don't want to talk about deep stuff. We don't want to talk about controversy. We just want to feel good now. We're going to go to a church that makes us feel good. I had a number of conversations in the last week or two with different people. I was in, in, in a government building, in the hallway of a government building. And, uh, talking to some people and somebody brought up the impeachment. Of Trump. <laughs> Which I guess is, that's in the news. We like to go to things that are in the news and relate them to the good news. And what is the good news? The good news is the kingdom of heaven is here. Now. Within your reach. You're just supposed to be reaching out and seeking it. But what are you reaching out for? What are most people we just heard in the news just before the show began? They were talking about some Indian tribe, uh, I think in Montana. That had no tribal status and now they're giving it tribal status so now its members can get benefits as Indians. And they think that's good. That's their downfall. That will bring their destruction. They get 200 acres from the American government which is bankrupt. People were, that's another thing that was talked about in the news is or at least in someone else's news, I was listening to somebody else talking about, we're headed for bankruptcy. We were bankrupt in 1933. We were bankrupt in 1929, which is why the Fed stopped loaning money into circulation, because we ran out of collateral and assets, and we weren't a good bet to loan us any more money to to pretend that that money is actually money. That What they're loaning into circulation is notes. Debt notes, Federal Reserve debt notes. They're not real money. They used to say I'm redeemable and lawful money. If something is redeemable and lawful money, it's not lawful money. <laughs> that's just, that's just kind of basic English. You know, you can exchange this for orange juice. <laughs> if you can exchange it for orange juice, it's not orange juice. It's something other than orange juice. <laughs> so, if uh, something is redeemable and lawful money, it's not lawful money. It also used to say on it, it's legal tender. Well, okay, what's legal tender? A tender is an offer. It's a legal offer that is not lawful money. <laughs> so, I mean, that's what it said on it. But if you don't think these things out, you know, I don't want to think. I mean, what difference does that make? Now, how how does that have anything to do with my freedom, my liberty, my rights? Well, it has a lot to do with it, but if you don't want to know, what can I say? You know, I could say, I could tell you exactly what it has to do with it, but if you don't want to know, I tell you, your desire not to know has more to do with your lack of liberty today than anything else. The desire to think you already know 
That has more to do with why you're back entangled again in the elements of the world and the bondage of the world. That's that's why you're under tribute. That's why your nation is already bankrupt. It just has not yet hit the sidewalk. It's already in free fall. It just has not hit the sidewalk. And they're talking about when it gets to a point that you can't earn enough money to pay it off. Pay off the debt. I mean, the interest rate is so great. All the people in America can't pay off the interest. Right right now, about 30%. If you divided up the debt with everybody in the United States, at least 30%, 100% of what they produce in a given year goes to the debt. And that won't even pay off the debt. <laughs> 100% of what you make, 30% of the Americans... If you just divide it up equally. Of course, you don't want to divide it up equally. You want to make somebody else pay more than you. Which is another reason why you're in bondage. Because you're selfish. Christ was willing to pay it all. If you're not willing to pay it all, you're not coming in the name of Christ. If you're not willing to lay down your life daily for the sake of others, you're not coming in the name of Christ. Because that's that's the way Christ came. That's the character which Christ came So, you think about that. Some of you aren't even willing to stick it out with your family and be there for your family. In order to be a real Christian, you have to be willing to be there for your neighbor's family as much as for your own family. We see a lot of people in Virginia, this is in the news too, about Second Amendment counties, I guess they call them. And a lot of them are up in arms, literally up in arms about the fact that the Virginia legislature is going uh, or wanting to outlaw certain guns and magazines and stuff. I don't know all the details, but, you know, it's just another attempt to cut back on the amount of guns you can buy in the infringement. You know, what what does anybody need a military weapon for? Well, obviously, he hasn't read the Constitution. <laughs> because, uh, and uh, you get this from guys who are supposedly sworn to uphold the Constitution. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like impeachment. You know, we got Nancy Pelosi, third in line to be President of the United States, in the case of the, the incapacitation or deaths of the President and the Vice President, the Speaker of the House becomes the President of the United States. So, she's third in line, and she's trying to dictate to the Senate what they can do and what they can't do in impeachment. If you look on a copy of the Constitution, common one, there's a big ink spot right there in the middle. This will help you find it. To the left of that ink spot that's right there in the middle, it says, Senate shall have the sole power of impeachment. Soul, soul power doesn't say the Senate has sole power unless Nancy wants some of that power. <laughs> it doesn't say that. That's not in there. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. But nobody reads the instructions. They don't They don't know what... They swear oath. 80% of the people in, that have obtained office in the state of Oregon are in violation of the oath. And, but... Christians, you know, I don't know of any of those Indians who wanted tribal status are Christians or claim to be Christians. I know they're not Christians. (laughs) I know they can't be Christians. Christians would not want to get benefits at the expense of their neighbor. Real Christians wouldn't want to do that. That's not something Christ would do. 
Christ is willing to take on the debts of others. He doesn't want to put others in debt. That's not the way he works. So if you want to force your neighbor who's already in bankruptcy to provide you with extra benefits, you're not a Christian. That's that's just the way it goes. You're not following Christ. I mean, you may be following some Christ, but we're told over and over again, be careful of those who preach another Christ other than the Christ. Well, the Christ wouldn't do that. And this is the problem is these people think they're nice people, a lot of them. You know, I could get along with them. I, I, I could play cards with them if I played cards. I don't play cards, so I probably wouldn't. But the reality is, is that they're probably nice guys and we could joke around and we could talk, you know, things, uh, as long as we don't get too serious. But if you point out the fact that Christian, you're not a Christian. You're not a follower of Christ. You're not doing what Christ said. And this is, I can do this with most of the pastors out there. I can prove in five minutes that they're not followers of Christ. Just by what Christ said. And if they want to argue with it, I can show you Paul said the same thing. A lot of people think Paul said something different than Christ. No, Paul, Paul preached Christ first. He just was talking to you things that are about things that are hard to understand. That's what Peter said. I actually was going to start this show doing on Peter, but I realized I've already done Peter. First and second Peter. We already have audios up for that. They're on the website at preparingyou.com. You can go there. And I think all the audios are up there. I should go and double check that all of them are in place. Sometimes I don't get back to putting them in place. You know, so that you can you can read uh, hear them while you read the, them in the side panels. But I thought I'd maybe go to Philippians. That's what I'm kind of thinking now. I don't know if we'll get there because there's a lot of things going on in the news, and I wanted to go over that. But we're going to relate everything that's going on in the news to the kingdom. So you know, there's actually a tribe, and I was trying to look it up. I noticed that the number of tribes that don't have tribal status, the largest number, seems to be in California. Which I thought was kind of funny. Of course, the reason they don't need tribal status is everybody in California are already on welfare. <laughs> so you don't need extra tribal status. I don't know why there's so many listed in California, but there's certainly, you know, according to, you know, I just went and looked on Wikipedia, all the ones that don't have tribal status. But I know there are several tribes in the Midwest that don't have tribal status, and they don't want tribal status. Now, you can find some people in the tribe that want tribal status. They want to get those extra free benefits at the expense of others. And, you know, the there's plenty of people in the tribe, but the, the people in the tribe who don't want tribal status, they don't form a delegation to send to Washington, D.C. to say, we don't want tribal status. They just don't want tribal status. So the ones who want tribal status, they form a delegation, send it to Washington, D.C., and, of course, Washington is really good at giving away other people's money. That's pretty much what business they're in. Of course, they always take a little skim off the top, but I'll tell you a little bit of how that works. You know, they just passed this omnibus bill, uh, 22,000 or 20-some thousand pages. They had like two days or less than two days to read it and pass it. They passed it. The president signed it. And you think, like, what's in it? Well, nobody knows what's in it. Not entirely. They know bits and pieces in it. Everybody takes their turn to put their little piece in there. And everybody, this is all done in back rooms. Uh, Republicans and Democrats alike, they, that's the only time they get together. 
uh, and they cooperate is when they all want to take and slice up a piece of the pie, the American pie. You, you're in the pie, by the way. You're you're all mixed up in that pie, and they want to slice out of you. And so they can come up with a 22,000 omnibus bill of slicing up you and your children and your children's children by overspending what they're already taking from you. So that you not only are going to have to pay in a lot to them, they're going to put you farther and farther into debt. Now, that can't keep going on. Somebody pointed out that uh, Trump said he'd balance the budget in eight years. Trump says a lot of things. And he exaggerates. He's prone to exaggerate. He's like a car salesman. You know, he's always, you know, the trying to sell you on the deal. And he exaggerates. And that's kind of a habit with him. And he might still balance the budget. But it won't get rid of the deficit. It may slow it down, but it won't get rid of it. So far, the budget that he submitted was was certainly not a balanced budget. But uh, it's only the first four years. But then Congress is the one who goes into the back room and organizes the budget. So how does all that work? What You know, like Planned Parenthood was funded in the budget. And Trump signed it. And people say, well, that money doesn't go to abortion. It goes to the other services that Planned Parenthood provides. Well, the fact is that money goes into an account. You don't know where that money goes to. I mean, if, if it's $10 million into an account that's got $20 million into it, when they take money out of that, you don't know what's going for what. It's just coming out of a common deal. Where, do, where does that money really go to? Well, if it depends on how you want to divide it up. You could say that all that money that comes from the federal government goes back to the federal government in the form of campaign financing. They give it to this candidate and they give it to that candidate. And, of course, they give it to the candidates who got it weaseled into the omnibus bill that they get millions of dollars. (laughs) And so then they get it put into their campaign finance. And if it goes directly into their campaign finances... If they decide, like Bernie did, not to run anymore when he, before, you know, when he was running for president last time, all of a sudden he's out. He's out of the race. He dropped out of the race. What happened to all the money that he had put into his campaign account to run? Was it, does that go back to the people? No. It's still his. <laughs> he can borrow against it. And that's why you you see some of these guys, they say, well, we're actually in debt up to this amount and everything. You're in debt up to that amount because you borrowed the money. Sometimes that's the case. You you have to look at it case by case. But all this, it's like Israel gets millions and millions, hundreds of millions of dollars as aid to Israel from the United States. What do they do with that money? They buy U.S. military weapons. And that stimulates the economy in the United States. Lots of, if, if you didn't do that with all the countries that we do, we don't just do it with Israel, we do it with lots of countries. We give the, you know, we give Saudi Arabia aid. We're like, what the heck? Those guys are rich. Why are we giving them aid? But you give them aid and they turn around and spend money here. And that stimulates the economy. And if they didn't do that, the economy would collapse. Because you'd have tens of thousands of people laid off because they're not making all those military equipment. I mean, 
I know the guy who sat with Eisenhower when Eisenhower decided to have a series of brush wars in Southeast Asia, which we ended up calling Vietnam, for the purposes of, what, stopping communism? No. This stated flat out for the purposes of stimulating the coal and steel industry in the United States. Now, they didn't just stimulate the coal and steel industry. They also stimulated the military-industrial complex because somebody was going to have to make those bombs. Somebody was going to have to buy the fuel for the jets. Somebody was going to have to buy all those uniforms. And that put people to work. It's not the way to run an economy. It's not the way to run a nation. If you were following biblical principles, you couldn't even do that. But you're not. Because you go to pastors who don't tell you the whole story. Which is where this story all started with. He hears this, that, and the other thing that's in the Bible. And he says, well, this must be the doctrines of Christ. And I said, yeah, but Christ also said this. And that's in contradiction to your conclusion. See, if you if you remove the inconvenient facts and words of Christ, you just take those out and ignore those. You can come up with a doctrine that is diametrically opposed to Christ and follow that doctrine and actually be opposed to Christ, doing contrary to Christ, to be against Christ. And think you're for Christ. This is how the many become workers of iniquity because they don't want to know the whole truth. You need to know the whole truth. Now, most people, when you talk about you don't know the whole truth and you need to know more, their vanity kicks in and they think like, who the heck is this telling me that I don't know Christ? Because they're vain. You know, a humble person is going to say, wow, you think so? Well, what, what do you got to tell me? <laughs> what are you going to tell me that I didn't know already? Or I, I thought I knew, but I didn't actually know. They want to find out. Well, that's why we put up Preparing You and His Holy Church websites, have all these books and audios online for free, so you can find out what you're missing. And that's some of the things that we'll be going over today, and we've been going over them, and there's lots and lots of them. And I'm still working on a piece that I'll be sharing with the ministers, getting farther and farther along. But I have to go back over it and everything and try to put this out in a logical way, backed up by the words of Christ and the testimonies in the Bible, to find out very obviously what you've been missing. And you've been missing it because your ministers are more interested in tickling your ears and warming the pews than they are in preaching the truth of Christ. We'll be right back. Well, welcome back. So we we talked a little bit about the omnibus bill that was passed while everybody was looking at the impeachment or doing whatever it is they... You know, if you're interested in politics, you're probably seeing in the news or interested in the news things about the impeachment. And that omnibus bill passed behind the scenes. Now, some people like Ted Cruz came out and talked about it a little bit. You know, he pointed out that, uh, let's see, he said, uh, this bill increases our deficit and increases our debt. Uh, he, he goes on and talks about the fact that it encourages human trafficking. 
it in, in, in MS-13 uh, legalized illegal uh, to get ID, literally voter ID. And uh, so that's going to create more voter fraud. And, you know, like the whole idea of giving the right to vote to prisoners, like, is that, you know, when you went out to elect people <laughs> to Congress or to the presidency, was that high on your priority? Like, I want to elect this guy because he wants to give criminals the right to vote, you know, felons in prison the right to vote. He wants to give them the right to vote. That's really high up on my list. Well, why would they be doing that? Well, they have a Democratic majority in a lot of places, and 70 to 75% of the people in prison are Democrats. <laughs> they, they would vote democratically because they're the ones who vote for all these free benefits. You know, of MS-13, there are lots of MS-13 people getting government benefits. And that's, that, that allows them more money for drugs and guns and everything else. There's a lot of prostitutes that are getting those benefits. They're actually full-time prostitutes. And they're getting government benefits because they have no visible means of support, no employment, because they're not declaring that they make. <laughs> they don't take checks, you know. So all that drug trafficking and everything is going on. These people are, you know, all these homeless people that you see, you know, there's actually a, a deal that goes on in lots of, I've seen it up in Bend here in Oregon, but it goes on all over the United States, is that there are people who offer addresses to people that are homeless. And they do that so that those people who are homeless can get a government check. You know, welfare or or maybe uh, food stamps or they need an address in order to get this stuff sent to them. So they give them an address and there's like 20, 30 people living at this address supposedly. None of them actually live there. They live in those tents you see along the side of the road in Los Angeles. Of course, a lot of them end up in Los Angeles because if you try to live on the streets in uh, Lake County at one at a mile high, that's a Lake Lakeview's a mile high city. If you try to live on the streets there, it gets down to zero degrees. <laughs> so most of our homeless are couch surfers, and they they don't live on the streets, or they head south, they snowbird it down south, and they go down and live in a tent in Los Angeles until summertime again. But the reality is, is that these these guys want to get a check, so they there's guys who actually make a living giving these guys an address in some run-down little place that nobody hardly lives at. But that's where they get their check. And then he gets a cut of whatever they collect because he's providing them with a post office box, basically. You know, it's you can't always use a post office box, but uh, that's, he, he actually has a residence with an address. And so, I mean, it's a, it's a scam. They're working the system. But everybody wants to think that it's good and that, you know, we have to take care of the needy of society. Well, you do. But Christ forbid taking care of the needy of society through men who call themselves benefactors. You know, we're going to give you all these benefits, food stamps, welfare, Medicare, Medicaid. All these things are the benefits that come from the benefactors of your society. Christ forbid us as Christians do take those benefits from men who exercise authority one over the other. Those men who use force. They force the contributions of the people. That's anti-Christ. 
That's really clear. So you, you know, you have a disabled son or daughter, or you're you're over sixty five, and you you, you want to collect Social Security. I'm not telling you you can't. I'm just telling you Christ told us not to be that way. You might have to be that way to even survive. But what? And I'm not judged. But God wants to see you turning your thinking around, realizing that that's the wrong way to go, like those Indians in Montana who want benefits at the expense of others from men who exercise authority one over the other and borrow against the future of everybody. Instead of wanting that, they should change their thinking. That's called repentance. And say, there's a better way to do this. You know, like those Indians, I can't remember the name of the tribe. It seems like it started with a P, but uh, Stossel did a report on them. And uh, John Stossel. So you can probably look up John Stossel and Indians and you'll see some of his reports. And, and they're not the only tribe, but they're very successful. Most of them are very successful. But even amongst Indians, you'll get some socialists, and that's what's happened. That's what's destroyed the Indian reservations. It destroyed the Sioux Indians, uh, destroyed many of these North Dakota Indians. Where they, I mean, they they get all these free benefits, and their kids are almost all suffering from malnutrition. Not because they don't have food or money for food, but they don't even know how to take care of themselves anymore. They they don't know what good food is. They don't know how to... Because most of the problems that they have in the diet could be solved just by changing the way they... But they, they're not in the business of thinking about what they ought to do. They're just thinking about what they can get for free. Now, you know, I don't want to lump some everybody, but the problems are there. And you can see them manifesting themselves. So... This omnibus bill is actually going to, it, it's welfare for politicians is what it is. Because they're going to be getting, you know, this is why Governor Brown here in Oregon, I just use this as an example. I don't want to pick on her. There's lots of other governors and lots of other states. But she received at least $20 million in donations to her direct account. Her, and $7 million right there on the website, it came from outside the state. Only $2 million is allowed to come from outside the state because you can only take 10% from outside of the voting district that is electing you, which would be the state in her case because it's a statewide election. So that means she's $5 million over what she is legally allowed to do. Because she's violated that, she is a felon according to the Oregon Constitution and she forfeits her office. It doesn't mean, doesn't say she shall have to forfeit her office. It is that she has already forfeited her office. But she's still in that office. So that means she's trespassing. But somebody with courage has to go up there and say, you're trespassing. You're in violation of Article 2, Section 22 of the Oregon Constitution. And it's not supposed to be me. I'm preaching the gospel of the kingdom. But I'm also have to preach things like where you're not following the ways of Christ. Because Christ said you have to keep the commandments. And he says all the commandments hinge on two things. Love God, love thy neighbor as thyself. But he didn't do away with the Ten Commandments. Paul never did away with the Ten Commandments. When he's talking about the law, he's not talking about the Ten Commandments. 
he's, he's telling you that if people aren't keeping the Ten Commandments in one way or another, James does, John does the same thing, have nothing to do with them. They have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. So if you're coveting your neighbor's goods, something that all the apostles warned us about, Peter especially, you're not keeping the commandments. If those Indians who wanted tribal status in Montana, and I'm not picking on Indians, because there's plenty of other, uh, those homeless people out there who want benefits at the expense of their neighbor and are asking men who exercise authority to take from my neighbor so that I can have more stuff, they're not Christians. If you want the government to take care of your parents, you're not a Christian. You're not doing what Christ said. Christ said, pray to God, your Father in heaven, for your daily bread. If you're praying to the gods of the earth for your daily bread, to the fathers of the earth, because he said, call the man on earth father. So, what's he mean? Well, that's that's how you got free bread in Rome, is you pr- prayed to the Patronus of Rome, the father of Rome, our father who art in Rome. And when you prayed to our father out in Rome for the, your your daily bread or your benefits or your monthly check or care for your kids or care for your parents or your grandparents, and when you're praying to them, those men who exercise authority, those men who are the fathers of the earth, you're not... Don't tell me, don't recite the Our Father, because that's, that's a lie. You're bearing false witness. You don't pray to Our Father who art in heaven for your daily bread if you're applying to your fathers of the earth for your daily bread. That's, you're not a Christian. Now that, I, that's good news to know that. Because now you can repent and start doing what Christ actually said to do the doctrines of Christ when that conversation traveling with this fellow who thinks he's a Christian I don't know how many times I said you can't be a Christian and do these things because Christ forbid this and he forbid that I mean, right out of his mouth he forbid this he told you stories why he would forbid it but you're doing it but your pastor says you're a Christian Christ says you're not he says you're actually a worker of iniquity, but your pastor said you're a Christian. Well, your pastor is a false prophet. He's preaching another Christ. He's not preaching what Christ said. And that's the thing is that because I went back and looked, I can pull these up. And that's what we do on the website. And article after article, we pull up those quotes. And so anyway, we're going to shift gears now. Because we've been talking about other things that are in, in the news. Now I've mentioned this before, but Christ said to look for signs in, in the sun and the moon and the stars. Now he's not talking astrology here. He's talking the actual sun and the moon and the stars. And when he says the stars in those days, that would refer to the planets as well. But one of the planets that is in space is us. <laughs> Earth. The Earth's magnetic north pole is shifting at a remarkable rate, and a number of stories came out this week about that. And uh, it's also weakening. It's getting, it was very strong at the time of Christ, but it's been getting weaker and weaker and weaker. And some other things have popped up, you know, and this magnetic field of the earth has to do with the magma core. And uh, when I say core, there's a magma layer in, in, in the, in the earth, if you go down deep enough, eventually it gets hotter and hotter and hotter and hotter. 
and eventually you get to lava. And occasionally you see places like volcanoes where this lava pops up above the surface and will sometimes do it violently and explode. But in that lava, a lot of times there's a lot of iron down there. And that iron at different temperatures and at different pressures and moving along uh, underneath the crust creates this magnetic field. And it creates it because we're also in orbit around the sun and all this stuff. Well, the sun's magnetic field reverses every 11 years. North becomes south and south becomes north. That doesn't happen as often on the earth, but it does happen. And so there's talk that that may happen again. Now, what would happen if that happens? Well, a lot of things. But one of the things that the magnetic field decreasing, increasing, and decreasing, and I read an article that came out, uh, John Tarduno, who's a professor of geophysics at the University of Rochester, was talking about coronal mass ejections. And that's always been a pet thing of me that I've been watching for the last over half a century. And... Uh, the uh, coronal mass ejections uh, occasionally, he says, occur on the sun. So that would be signs in the sun. And sometimes hurtle directly towards Earth. That, I'm just reading his direct quote. Some of the particles associated with CMEs can be blocked by the Earth's magnetic field. And I've talked about this in great detail, how it's compressed the magnetic field and how the energy that's in these toroidal balls of mass and Particles. He talks about particles. We're talking about billions of tons of particles hurtling through space in a toroidal uh, ball that actually speeds up as it leaves the sun, which means that it has some sort of propulsion in it if it's going faster and faster as it goes and pulses through space. But anyway, it, they hurtle out, and sometimes they hit Earth. And these particles, billions of tons of matter in the fourth state of matter, will hit the Earth. And they've done it before. That's when you see auroras and things like that. And it just astounded me when I was reading about the time of Christ and the history of, you know, of Rome and everything. There were auroras so bright at the time of Christ, you could read newsprint, you know, paper... I mean, it wasn't like printed paper, but you could read, like we do with our present newspaper, but you could read books, scrolls, at night in Rome with no other light than the aurora. That's And that's down in Italy, Rome. You could actually, I mean, it would light up Jerusalem by the lights in the sky. That's how big the CMEs were back then. Now, if we had those now, power would be shut off in a lot of places, uh, Cell phones wouldn't work. Uh, I mean, the navigational uh, satellites would be in trouble everywhere. But that's how... The amazing thing was that it was at the time of Christ that was taking place. And then you had volcanoes going off like Vesuvius and stuff shortly after that. And earthquakes. You know, when Christ died, there were earthquakes felt for miles and miles and miles in vast areas, low, rumbling, deep... Uh, earthquakes. So are these all associated? Well, you also had a period of global warming just before all these things took place. And which is why Rome and, and the Teutons were prospering so much. So since history repeats itself, I, I look at some of the parallels that were taking place back then. <laughs> and I look at now. Now the, one of the big differences is back then, 
Earth's magnetic field was extremely strong. Now it's going down. One of the things that I studied in geomorphology classes and uh, way back, I took night classes when I was going to work uh, back in Los Angeles for a while. And so, you know, I just because I was fascinated and thought I would look into some of these things. Well, there was a thing called the Schumann resonance. It's the frequency, uh, the electromagnetic field of the planet, so to speak, as a whole. Well, that's been 7.83 hertz for thousands of years. And, uh, you know, ancient uh, Rishi, Indian priests, you know, in India, uh, thought this number was had a special meaning. It had some sort of sacred meaning and everything in the Hindu religion. Well, the, anyway, the, the point of in the news, since I'm looking at a few things in the news, is that, it's changing. <laughs> it's supposed to be the 7.83. Well, actually, it has been for a long gated periods of time have jumped up to 8.5 hertz, which is, they thought it was a constant. It's not a constant. It's actually gone up and hit as high as 16.5. And nobody knows why. So the science isn't settled. So you have volcanoes going off under the sea, which we talked about, under the Arctic Ocean, under the Antarctic. And is this connected to the sun? Uh, is this connected to that magma area that's affecting and weakening our field? And uh, in a campfire talk that I had recently with somebody off the record, <laughs> I talked about how that magnetic field helps hold certain certain things in a constant state. Uh, and if it decreases too much, like, just like this professor was saying, it could make us more and more vulnerable. So anyway, those are just little things in the news. But let's go on back to, you know, we mentioned the Constitution and the impeachment and all that kind of stuff. But there was a quote that came from John Adams, uh, that, you know, most, a lot of people are familiar with, I quoted in, in the book Contracts, Covenants, and Constitution, which is, uh, available free online. I've quoted it in a number of articles. And that quote was basically, basically from John Adams where he said the United States Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. So you have to be this moral and religious people. And you can go look at, uh, I put up another page on Thomas Sowell at Preparing You this week. Uh, I've added to the other pages. Uh, we have a page on Alexis Torqueville who talks about when America was great, when America uh, is great because America is good, when America ceases to be good, it will cease to be great. The The Constitution is not your salvation. And that's, something we're trying to make people understand. These people looking for their Second Amendment rights and wanting to defend their Second Amendment rights, if they're not interested in their neighbor's rights as much as their own, and not just their Second Amendment rights, but their First Amendment right, their, their right to be secure in their person, in other words, not be forced to get vaccinations, all these things, they, they are allowed to have homeschooling, uh, that's protected right, uh, one of the 
things that people talk about, this freedom of religion, and religion, of course, is mentioned by John Adams in this quote. Religion, at the time John Adams mentioned that quote, the United States government was not in the welfare business at all. There were no benefactors who exercised authority handing out Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, welfare, food stamps. That was not coming from the government. As a matter of fact, a few times when the government tried to do that in Washington, D.C., they were called out by the people. That's not the job of government. You go read our article on Davy Crockett, which you can also find it preparing you. Find out what Davy Crockett thought of the idea of government being in the welfare business when he was a congressman. So anyway, you, you'll just have to do that on your own because we're going to keep on going here because I want you to see before we get to the end of this hour, which is not very far away, what context John Adams is writing this letter in. This that you can actually go to uh, read uh, some of the the stuff that John Adams wrote, and and one of them is uh, this letter they wrote on October eleventh, nine uh, seventeen ninety eight, and he was writing to an officer of the Massachusetts militia. Now people don't understand militia today. You, you if you went to public school, you probably don't understand a lot of things. If you're between the ages of seventeen and forty five and a citizen of the United States, you're already a member of the militia. You are you don't have to sign up for anything. Technically, if you're between the ages of 17, that's the law, I'm not making it up. Between 17 and 45, and a citizen of the United States, you're a member of the militia. The militia is the ones who, who built the first public school, uh, public schools in Massachusetts. And that's that was Jefferson's idea. He wanted to make it law, but they said, we don't need it law, we're already doing it. And so it wasn't passed. But the militias were built. And what are the militias? Voluntary army of people who would do these things. They're just your neighbors doing these things. Well, anyway, he's writing to an officer because you, you have a right to a well-regulated militia. That doesn't mean a militia that's regulated by the government. It's regulated by you, because you're the government of the people, for the people, and by the people. So you get together. You, I mean, what's a militia? You got a you got a platoon, and you got four platoons, and then you make a company, and then you you know then you get several companies together, and you make a battalion. But you're supposed to be doing this from the ground up, and not do, just doing it to you know go out there and fight some battle, you don't have to carry a gun. I mean, there's an Oregon militia over here in White City and Eagle Point and reaches all the way over to Grants Pass and stuff. I mean, they've done things like expose that the county commissioners were taking bribes and they exposed insurance fraud and uh, they exposed the fact that there was a criminal hanging out with a local newspaper saying that he was one person and he was actually another. They weren't out marching around with guns in the woods. I mean, they probably did do that sometimes. They probably all the hunters, but the militia was the voluntary people in the community that were going to be attending to the weightier matters. What's the weightier matters? Well, what did Christ say the weightier matters was? Law, judgment, mercy, and faith. In other words, they were out there protecting the rights of their neighbors, and they were 
you know, if you couldn't afford education for your kids, they were building schools and making it, you know, paying teachers out of their own pocket to make it available so your kids could get an education. They knew it was your responsibility as a parent, but if you couldn't meet the grade, maybe you just didn't make enough money, maybe you were poor health, whatever. Maybe you, you had some bad luck. They were out there volunteering to make it happen. This is what was making America great. It wasn't the Constitution. The Constitution was written to keep the government from meddling in things like this, which is religion. If Christ said they condemned the Pharisees because they weren't attending to the weightier manners of law, judgment, mercy, and faith, that's part of the religion of Christ. Religion was how you took care of the needy of your society. You know, those people who couldn't afford education for their kids, you helped them. You did it voluntarily. As a group, well-organized group, voluntarily helping one another. That's the key to a free nation. And just to get on to it really quick here, I'll read it in the context of what he actually wrote, this head of the militia. But, should the people of America once become capable of that deep stimulation towards one another and towards foreign nations, which assumes the language of justice and moderation while it is practicing iniquity and extravagance, that's where we're at. Iniquity is coveting your neighbor's goods. Extravagance is living beyond your means. But we're not going to be able to get through this before the end of this section. So we'll take this up again in the next half of Keys to the Kingdom. And you'll see how this relates to what's going on today. We'll be right back. Well, welcome back to Keys to the Kingdom. So anyway, we were reading this uh, letter by uh, John Quincy Adams to... uh, the uh, head of the militia it actually was, well, actually, I'm not sure. It says in some places that it was the first brigade. <laughs> but in other places, it talks about it being the uh, third brigade. So I'm not sure did he have it wrong or whatever. But, uh, but it was um, the first or third brigade of the third division of the militia in Massachusetts. Now, this is not appointed from the top down. This is appointed from the bottom up. This is the militia. This is the the well-organized army of the people who are already sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands because they actually used tithings back then, the ten families. Now, the exact number is irrelevant, but the point is small groups to get together and then they connect themselves with other groups and those groups connect themselves with other groups in an organized fashion, in ranks, that's what Christ says, that we're supposed to sit down in ranks of ten and ranks of a hundred and ranks of fifty in order to take five thousand men in their families and organize them so that they can act as a body. But they're organizing from the bottom up, not from the top down. They're not like when they elected Saul, he was going to appoint them from the top. You pick them from the bottom. Now, the apostles were supposed to make the people organized in this fashion. And we see Peter doing the same thing. He says, look out amongst yourselves. You pick the men you trust. 
and then we will appoint them over this business. Now, in that particular case, that wasn't the tens, hundreds, and thousands. That was the seven that you were supposed to pick that they mentioned both in the Old and New Testament. And they had a particular role to play. But the principle of the fact that you had to pick them, and then we appoint them because they're actually doing church work. They're actually providing a service so to the church so the church can do a religious, pious performance of a religious duty, which is to take care of the needy of society. That's why Peter was asked, what are we going to do here? Because some of the needy of society are getting neglected in Greece. And he says, okay, well, we have to get funds from here to Greece sometimes when they're having a real problem there. How do we do it? Well, we pick seven men. Actually, the Old Testament says pick seven men, even eight. And this is to help with these calamities where you have problems in other areas that the locals cannot meet and you have to be able to do that. We should be doing that. We know how to do that. But you aren't sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands yet the way you should be because you're all out there following your own personal doctrines or the doctrines of some preacher you believe in rather than believe in Christ. Anyway, so we're going to relate. We're going to look at this historical document of this letter from John Adams to this uh, this general, and uh, who evidently was at Lexington <laughs> at one point. And so, anyway, now he's this this general. He's talking about a pious duty in this letter, and you'll see where he mentions it because I'll, I'll read over it, but. Uh, He's talking about this pious duty, and and I wanted you to understand, remember this pious duty, that's what religion was. It was a pious duty, a performance of a pious duty to God and your fellow man. Now, when we use that word pious, not only the word religion has changed from the last 200 years, because that was the definition 200 years ago, or a little bit more, but... uh, the the definition of the word pious was different back then too. A pious duty was the duty of a son to his father. And of course our father, those 5,000 men, they might not have had a father over them. Their father may have passed away already and their families. So who's their father? Those 5,000 men. That's our father in heaven. And they were organizing because these men were following Christ and they were no longer going to pray to Augustus Caesar who was their father in Rome. They weren't going to pray to Augustus Caesar for their daily bread. Because Augustus Caesar was providing daily bread or at least weekly benefits often on a regular basis to the people of Judea. He even passed laws, and we mentioned this in some of the books that we put free online, passed laws that if the free bread giveaway day fell on a Jewish holiday, Jews could come on another day. He actually wrote those laws out, passed them, and he was praised by the Jews because now they can get their free bread from him. Now, if they weren't getting free bread from him, which was often an increase in the amount of flow of free bread, there was already a free bread giveaway program going on in Judea set up by Herod and the Pharisees. And if you wanted to be eligible for that free bread in Judea provided by Herod and the Pharisees, all you had to do was sign up with them at the temple. 
or the local synagogue. Synagogues were ten families. That's basically all synagogues were basically ten families. And we quote showing you historians who make that very clear. That isn't the way we see it today, but that's the way it was at that time. And that's, if you're going to read the Bible, you have to read it in the context of that time. If I change the meaning of words in your dictionary and you go back and read the Bible, you will get a different opinion as to what the Bible is telling you because you think the word religion means what you think about God. It doesn't. It means the highest performance of your duty to God and your fellow man. You like thinking that religion is what you think about God because you're worshiping the image of God you've created in your thinking, in your mind. That's what you're worshiping. You're not actually worshiping the God. You're worshiping the image of God created in your mind and you hire pastors to help you create those images. And I come along and say, yeah, but that's not what Jesus said. And I can show you in the Bible sitting in your pew that you're not doing what Jesus said. You're doing contrary to what Jesus said. So anyway, if religion is how you take care of the needy of society in a pious performance of your duty, and pious being the the duty to your father, then why are you having to take care of one another through forced contributions by men who exercise authority one over the other? Why, Why would you have to have welfare? And Social Security, and Medicare, and Medicaid, and and food stamps. Why do you have to have that in your society? Those are all socialist programs. And of course, you've heard me say, if you any kind of regular, quoting somebody else who said it before me, socialism is the religion you get when you have no religion. Socialism is public religion. That's what the imperial cult of Rome was. It was all these socialist programs run through their temple where you signed up. If you didn't sign up, you were unregistered and you were taking care of the needy of your little group or your friends or your family. This idea of going to the government for your benefits was around at the time of Herod. It was around at the time of Augustus. But Herod and Augustus exercised authority. So if you signed up with the temple built by Herod and the Pharisees, you were registered with that temple and they would write your name down. You would do it probably through your local synagogues and the local synagogues were all connected to the temple, most of them. Not all of them, because some people didn't go along with this plan. The Essenes, most of the Essenes did not, I don't, I shouldn't say most, I don't have the statistics on it, but a lot of the Essenes did not sign up with the temple in Jerusalem for the benefits of the temple. They took care of their needs in their local networks. Some did sign up, and they were referred to in some writings as the lovers of soft things. That's the literal translation of what they were called, the lovers of soft things. But they were signed up. But there were, so there were clearly some people in the community that did not sign up for those benefits. They didn't register at the temple. And they were referred to as idiotis. They were unregistered people. Now, there are different translations in the modern Bible when that word shows up in the Greek. But that's what they were. They were unregistered. You go read our article, Are Christians Idiots? Because that's where we get the word idiot is from idiotis, which actually means 
unsubscribed or un, uh, unregistered. Peter was considered unregistered. That doesn't mean that he was unlearned. It means that he his name wasn't written down in those books. His name was written down. He was separate from that world. And Christ kept him separate from that world. They didn't sign up, but they created a social welfare system based on faith, hope, and charity to meet the pious performance of a duty to God and their fellow men, to take care of the widows and orphans and needy of their society. This is what Christians were doing, and we show you in our article and in books that that's why Christians were persecuted. Is they Later on, that was legal at the time of Christ. It was absolutely legal that you created a private religion to take care of the needy of your society, and you did not have to sign up with Caesar or Herod or any or the Temple of Roma or the temple, you know, Temple of Saturn. That's where you register your birth certificates. Why? Because that's how you could prove that you were eligible for those benefits, for the free bread, for the health care. They had health care, too. Uh, it wasn't really necessarily good, but some of our health care today isn't that good either. Just had a neighbor die from medication uh, that he was receiving from a doctor. It killed him. Uh, so anyway, back to the point of this is this is the vision between Christians and everybody else. The Christians, the first Christians were just Jews. Peter was a Jew. Paul was a Jew. All the apostles were Jews. They weren't going to be called Christians for another hundred years or more. You know, the first time they're called Christians is in Antioch. They were called Jews. When they were kicked out of Rome by Claudius, they were called Jews. But they were following this other king, one Jesus, who was the Christ. Christ meaning the anointed. The kings were anointed. That's what they were doing. But they had an organized system of social welfare that took care of the needy of their society through charity. Through what the Old Testament calls free will offerings. That's just so immense. And that's how they performed their pious duty. So back to John Adams. He says in this letter, But should the people of America once become capable of that deep simulation towards one another and towards foreign nations, which assumes the language of justice and moderation, while it is practicing iniquity and extravagance, and displays in the most captivating manner the charming picture of candor, frankness, and sincerity, while it is rioting in the rapine and insolence of uh, this country, or insolence, this country will be the most miserable habitation in the world. Well, actually, he's telling us that we will become that most miserable habitation, and that's what we're doing. This rioting, this term rioting, we see that in Paul's writing, rioting. The idea that you can use the government to force your neighbor to contribute to your education, public schools. Social Security, the care of your parents. You're supposed to be taking care of your parents. That's part of the commandments. The idea that you can do that through government force, that's rioting. 
That's that's going against, that's rebelling against Christ. Rebelling against the teachings of God in the Old Testament and the New Testament through Christ. You're rioting. That's what you're doing. The riots you see, like at Ferguson and all, that's just evidence that you're already rioting. <laughs> you know, the places where the welfare is the most, where you give the most money to the supposed needy, but you're giving it to men who call themselves benefactors, but they just take away from others. They just exercise authority over others. When you do that, wherever you do that the most, that's where you're going to see the violent rioting. You're already violent. If you're forcing, there was just a levy uh, in the, the, the county where I live. There was a levy. It's up in the north part of the county. It's not in this part of the county. And it was to get more money for the school. They wanted more money for the school. So they're going to force everybody in that district to pay more money in taxes. Their property taxes all went up to provide this levy. That's the antithesis of what made America great. What made America great is all the people got together and volunteered to build the schools, like the militia volunteered to build. When you do that together, that creates bonds in your society where you become a real body that will back each other up. That's one of the things when you, you train an army today, even when you draft all the guys into the service or whatever, you try to create bonds between the men so that they will not desert the front lines when the enemy attacks because they don't want to desert their buddy because they become a band of brothers. That's what makes them strong. But if you really want to be strong as a community, you start that building those bonds together like by building a school. We have a school down here. It's been in lots of paintings. We have it. You'll see pictures of it in uh, our uh uh, preparing you, you look up, uh, schools as tools, and you'll see pictures of the school. Now, it was really run down, it was all gray and everything, and falling apart, and I fixed it up. I didn't fix it up by myself, I did most of the labor, my sons and I did most of the labor, but, uh, we were actually paid, but we were paid by funds that were gathered from a lot of other people. We didn't do it alone. Other people donated funds, and, uh, it, it, those funds pay for a lot of the materials and and pay for our hours there and we don't we always do more work on jobs like that than we're paid for so everybody kind of pitched in to do that well that's how the school was originally built is everybody it wasn't government funds everybody pitched in to build that now later on they started and they built another school later on and they abandoned that one that was built back in 1910 I think and uh, they didn't use that anymore. It's sitting on private property now. Uh, it was on private property back then. <laughs> That's because the private people built it. They built another school, and then they eventually abandoned that school. And I have another son living in that school. He's turned it into a house. But uh, then they built a big school down in, in Paisley. And now they built a bigger school up in North Lake County. And uh, that's where the levee was. But they've gotten into the habit of forcing their neighbor rather than voluntarily going out and everybody pitching in and building the school. The old school in Paisley was built way back in the 20s. They actually used horse-drawn Fresnos to dig out the basement underneath the gymnasium. <laughs> but, and they, but they were volunteering a lot. They built a community center back in the 70s, 
or uh, late 70s, I think it was. And uh, all the wood was donated. Most all the labor was donated. They had to hire a few people, electricians. Uh, they actually had some volunteer electricians as well, but they did hire some people. But they did it with funds that they voluntarily collected. And they built a really nice community center. But they, they, we still have that here. You know, and I point out before that, you know, World War One, they needed ambulances and people donated money to buy 2,000 ambulances and pay the drivers of those ambulances for the war effort. It was all donated. It wasn't government money. We don't even think in those terms now. Now your kids are all being graduated from those public schools thinking socialism is good. He's, he's saying when we get to that point, where we're starting to do what all these other countries are doing, and we can show you, you know, uh, go, we've talked about it in our marriage documents, uh, you know, our articles on marriage, you know, where that came from. Who had the idea that the marriages were to be performed by the state? Well, it was Marie Antoinette's brother. I mean, it was around, we can take you all the way back to, to Rome, that they, Justin, Justinian Codes came up with that idea as well. Before that, it was always a contract between families, and religious institutions such as churches or temples would witness it and record it for the families. But this was one that was the government of the people for the people and by the people. Once you have a ruling elite that you elect, or are no longer representatives but lawmakers, then the tables have turned. It's a different and and what should have been for your welfare will become a snare. That's what David and Paul say. Your preacher probably didn't tell you that. He said that what should have been for your welfare will become a snare. And will, and Peter tells you, will make you merchandise. Did your pastor quote that to you? That if you eat at the table of rulers, that you will become merchandise. You will be snared. You will be trapped. It tells you that in the Bible over and over again. In Psalms, in Proverbs, in Paul. It tells you wonders. It, it, it explicitly explains that. But the preacher that's constructing the image of Christ for you is not telling you these things. John Adams lived in a time when there were still some preachers around. Because all social welfare was taken care of through charity back then. And that's why America was becoming so prosperous. And you have to turn around your thinking and go back that way. And that's what we're trying to teach people here. But they have to be willing to learn it. So anyway, this is this is what was he says when we get to that point we will become this miserable habitation in the world. He goes on to say because we have no government armed with the power capable of contending with human passions unbridled by morality and religion, avarice, ambition, revenge, licentiousness would break the strongest cords of our Constitution as a whale goes through a net. Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. And so that's that was what Adams was trying to tell us at that particular time. He wrote in another letter to Thomas Jefferson that uh, where he talks about... Uh, his analysis of different people who were talking in, you know, he, he read this 12 volume set of Dupuy, uh, 
which was a French guy. I haven't found that volumes, those volumes. I've looked and looked and looked. There's others that are more modern written by somebody, but almost the same name. But uh, anyway, he had an analysis of the Bible and Adams was reading it and, and saying, well, his interpretation didn't seem to be accurate. He he goes and he says that none of these writings, and he lists a long list of writings. I won't go through the whole list of writings that he had been reading, trying to figure out what is the actual accurate interpretation of the Bible. He was trying to figure this out. He was not a big fan of religion. What you I shouldn't say religion, organized religion. But that's that's deceptive because literally the militia was a part of his organized religion. Because the militia was doing things like building schools and taking care of the needy of society. All the people in the militia went to some local congregation or church. All those were not some homogeneous group. There were a lot of different categories of groups. They were not dividing people by these religious denomination or churches. And we try not to do that. We don't want to divide people. We don't tell people you can't go to this church or you can only go to our church or any of those things. And we're not big for cathedrals or big buildings and play music and try to give you a feeling of righteousness. We just tell you what Christ said righteousness looks like and say, if you want to pursue that, we'll help you pursue that. That's what the early church was doing. And Paul warns against, you know, like, you know, I'm of Apollos and I am of Paul and I am of... No, we don't want to do that. We want to divide people that way. We want to bring people together the way Christ said to bring people together. But we can't bring them together. We're not going to tickle your ears to do it. I'm telling you that if you think you're following Christ and you don't have a system of social welfare, entire a daily ministration entirely run by free will offerings, networked together by the tens, fifties, hundreds, thousands, you're not doing what Christ said. Because he commanded that we do that. If you go preach your doctrines, those are your doctrines. They may overlap here and there with Christ. But if you're taking elements of Christ's doctrines and not dealing with them, not mentioning them, not implementing them in your own life, you're preaching a lie. You can't take out part of the truth of Christ's doctrines and then operate truthfully. If you take out parts, any part, that becomes, what you're doing becomes a lie. And so until you have, until you're sitting down those tens, hundreds, fifties, and thousands and organizing yourself in a way so that you can actually attend to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. I kind of shudder what might happen in Virginia when people who are just interested in their right to bear arms all get together to stop people from taking the arms of their neighbor, that's a recipe for disaster. You need to have the full armor of God. You need to care about those people's right to home education, those people's right to not get vaccinated, those people's right to practice their free religion. Now, what is free religion? Free religion is taking care of the needy of society through faith, hope, and charity, not through force, fear, and violence, not through fealty and force and fear. 
which is the way most people do it. You you signed up, now you have to contribute to the welfare of your neighbor. That's contrary to Christ. That's contrary to liberty. That's contrary to the religion taught by the early church. You should be able to take care of one another without signing up for Social Security. Now, you're not ready for that. First, you got to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. We'll be right back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, anyway, uh, Adams goes on in, in the letter to Jefferson talking about Jude and, and Peter because Jude and Peter, there's uh, parts of uh, Peter that look like they're almost from the same author. Well, they don't really look the same author, but it's certainly the same source. The Some of the style of the Greek is quite a bit different in Jude and, and Peter. But... There's definitely parallels in those two. And we talked about it in our in our study of Jude. And that's up, or will be entirely up. I don't know if it's entirely up, but at Preparing You, we have all the Bible up there, and you can go through the studies. Good it, when you get into groups to go through that, individually go through that. But what we were going to start today, and we won't get through it, of course, is Philippians. And I start out with these other topics before we get into Philippians, because I'm relating it, you know, I re- just related Adams to what's going on today. We we have abandoned those things that Adams thought was making America great. What uh, Alexis Tocqueville, who was a Frenchman, coming years later, thought was making America great. All of our social welfare was taken care of by charity, and almost most of it today, there is some charity in all these churches, and all these, there's a lot, a lot of Americans that are still charitable, but the largest proportion of what we provide for the needy of society is done by men who exercise a force, and they're doing it to buy influence, to buy votes. This takes us back to what we were originally talking about there. That's why voter fraud is going to determine who their next ruler's next emperor is. You know what an emperor is? See, if you don't know what an emperor is, imperator in the in the Latin means commander in chief. That's what it means, commander in chief. And Augustus was the commander in chief of the army and the navy. Trump is the commander in chief of the army and the navy. And the Air Force. And now, evidently, the Space Force. (laughs) He is able to make fire come down from heaven in the sight of men. So, those of you who have studied Revelations, I just quoted. (laughs) So, that's the difference between the beast and the image of the beast. But I'm not worried about the beast. Because I have Christ on my side. And I am, I am struggling daily to put, uh, lay down my life and to put on the full armor of, of Christ and God. You should be doing the same thing. And that, doing that, putting on that full armor of, means you have to start doing what Christ actually said. Not just some of the things that Christ said. You have to be trying to do all of the things that Christ said. Which includes sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and start caring about one another as much as you care about yourself. That's, that is just built in in Old Testament and New Testament. There's your two witnesses. But anyway, we were going to talk about the epistle uh, to the Philippians. And uh, that's, you know, it's kind of a, it's not a very long one. And we'll probably get through the rest of it this afternoon. And this will all be a part of one series on Philippians. 
But that's why we're tying it together. This epistle of Paul and Timothy to the Philippians is often referred to as simply Philippians. It is a letter written concerning the people gathering in the way of Christ in Philippi. And it may be counted as the 11th book of the New Testament. Paul and Timothy first visited Philippi in Greece during Paul's second missionary journey, which is believed to have occurred approximately between 49 and 51 A.D. And uh, some estimate that the letter was written like in 62 A.D. But Philippi, what... What what kind of a town was that? It, you know, it was a city in eastern Mas- Macedonia established by Philip II of Macedon in 356 B.C., who is, of course, related to Alexander the Great. It was important because of the discovery of gold mines near the city, which brought it prosperity and value. So there were a lot of people mining gold, but then, of course, they got to eat and be people building clothes and houses and everything else. But what they were exporting was this gold that made that city rather wealthy. Back in the days of, see, Rome was originally a republic back in 400 B.C., 500 B.C., it became a republic when it threw out the Tarquinian kings. That was their their Roman revolution. <laughs> they threw out the king. And uh, they didn't want to have a king over them. And they created a republic. And uh, along comes Philip in 356 B.C. and starts this uh, Philippi. And partially because of the fact that they they found this gold there. But Mark Antony and Octavius, who became Augustus Caesar defeated Marcus Junius Brutus and Gaius Cassius Longinus at the Battle of Philippi. Well, who are these guys? You know, Brutus, ete brute, you know, Brutus killing Julius Caesar, who was trying to become emperor of Rome. He was he was already the commander-in-chief of the military, but he brought the military across the Rubicon, which meant that the military could now be used against Roman people. That's what they're trying to do. The governor of Virginia wants to use the militia, not the militia, but the National Guard. That's not the same thing. The National Guard to take guns away from the American people. That's that's tantamount to Caesar crossing the Rubicon, using soldiers to enforce the will of rulers on the people. They were a republic. You couldn't do that. Now, a lot of those people speaking out against this in Virginia think they're still a republic. But they're all members of the democracy. They all ask the same government to go and force their neighbor to contribute to their welfare and to take care of their elderly and provide them with Medicare, Medicaid, uh, Obamacare, and all these things. They Now, I admit that amongst these people, there may be people that are not far from the kingdom. But they better get a lot closer before they start rioting in the streets. <laughs> and that's what we're teaching people how to do. They have to think a little bit different way. But... Brutus and Gaius wanted to restore the Republic and get rid of Julius Caesar. And, of course, he did. And Mark Antony and Octavius came to the defense of Caesar. And they were able to defeat Brutus and Gaius, uh, Cassius Longinus, because they didn't have the full armor of God. (laughs) You need the full armor of God. You cannot restore the 
the republic unless you have the spirit of Christ. This is what Christ was doing. Israel was considered, I mean, you can just read it in encyclopedias, was the one of the first republics, even before Rome. Rome was actually fashioning their Roman Republic after many of the principles that they knew about in the original Jewish Republic. Most Christians today don't understand how the Jewish Republic back in the days of Moses even operated. Because they think that the altars were places where you piled up rocks, killed sheep, and set them on fire. That was not what the altars were. They were living altars originally. They weren't these dead ritual altars that we think about. Because somebody constructed that idea in your mind. And of course we have a whole book that goes through it step by step and shows you that these were actually systems of social welfare that operated by faith, hope, and charity rather than fealty and force and violence. And this is what John the Baptist was preaching, what Christ preached, what Paul preached, what the early church was doing, but what the modern church fails to do. They need to do that before they go and earn the fate of Marcus Brutus and Gaius Longinus. And because uh, they were destroyed in 42 B.C. Uh, they were delivered a death blow to the partisans of the Republic because that's, you know, Brutus was... Wanting to restore the republic. They tried to do it again under Caligula, but another long story. Veteran soldiers of the Legion, which was 28, colonized this city, Philippi, in 27 BC after Octavius became Roman emperor and received the title of Augustus, which means savior. From the Roman Senate. That's who gave him that title. He settled more Italians and veterans, including some from the the Praetorian Guard in that city. And it was renamed several times, uh, Colonia Victrix, uh, Philippinium. (laughs) I have them all written down there. You can go to preparing you and read the article there there was no real church buildings until the constantine's influence began to grow uh, this new form of christianity and we have links there to articles on constantine to, because this is where the apostasy started to be uh, come in and where they started to create a new image of christ and a new religion of christ so anyway and that wasn't until 343 because the Christian churches was built of living stones the same as the altars of the Levites was built of living stones as well. And we explain how you can come to that conclusion. And at the time of Christ those same people I mentioned the Essenes knew that that's what the Torah was saying. They disagreed with the interpretation that came from the Septuagint and the Pharisees that they knew that what this Hebrew language was really saying was talking about a system of social welfare built with living stones where the people organized themselves from the bottom up. Because that's the only way to be a free nation is to take care of the needs of your nation through free will offerings. As soon as you go to forced offerings, you can guarantee you will not be a free nation. If you don't believe me, Go ask Samuel, because he says it over and over again, explains it to the foolish Saul, who thought that you could force the offerings of the people, force the sacrifice of the people, and still remain free. You cannot. Saul told you this. Enoch told you this. <laughs> Jeremiah tells you this. and you, But your pastor is not telling you that. 
He's telling you that you're already saved, even though that you're not. So anyway, we talk about it, you know, a number of other, uh, the idea of this public ministers, uh, that's what the church is, public ministers. There's a guy on Facebook who, and I'm gonna eventually confront him with this again. But he, he says, oh, we don't need a church, we just need Christ in our life, you know. Well, how do I know Christ is in his life? Well, then I should see what Christ told the early church to do operating in his practice of religion. I don't see that. But I just see he's just so anti-church. Well, the thing is, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah, the modern church is not doing what the early church was doing. But you don't get solve that by just throwing out everything called church. You solve that by starting to do what the early church was doing. If nobody tells you what they were doing, you don't even know what to pursue. You don't even know what to repent of. Anyway, there was a a, a bishop in Philippi who we can call Aproditus. And uh, there was also Hippolytus, a list of the 70 disciples mentioned in the Gospel of Luke. 10, the 70, which we tell you about. I should put a link in here. Oh, maybe I already have. I should check and see if that's in here. But to our Sanhedrin article. Because that's what Christ was doing. He was appointing a new Sanhedrin. And then I uncovered the writings that talk about the fact that there was a Sanhedrin. The Jewish writings talk about a Sanhedrin just about the time of John the Baptist that abandoned, walked out of the Sanhedrin because of corruption. And that's of course what an ecclesia is. is it, It's the called out. They were called out by their conscience. To leave the Sanhedrin. And, and of course they evil filled the Sanhedrin with other guys. Now there were some good guys in the Sanhedrin. But there was no longer the majority. Were running things. Now uh, were good guys. The majority that was running things was the bad guys. And they that's why Herod was able to create a system of social welfare based on socialism, forced offerings, where you sign up, which is tying that back together, which I talked about earlier. So anyway, these guys were writing about this and talking about this. But if you don't know that the 70 was Christ's Sanhedrin, and you don't know the role of the Sanhedrin in the kingdom of God. Because Christ said, I'm going to take the kingdom away from you and appoint it to this other group that's going to bear fruit. And see, what's happened now is the modern church is not bearing fruit. They say, oh, this is fruit because we had all these altar calls. But everybody goes back home and prays to the men who exercised authority one over the other for their benefits. And then they wonder why those men have gotten so powerful they can come and take away their guns. And they went, well, you're not going to take away our guns. Well, they will. They will probably get away with it unless you put on the full armor of God. If you put on the full armor of God, they won't even come down your street. I'm I'm telling you. You're in a spiritual war here. You know, I... I'm, I'm not against or for you getting guns. You go do, do what God put his, uh, puts on your heart. But you better make, make sure you're listening to the God of heaven and not the God of the modern pastor. Because the modern pastor is not preaching the God of Christ and the Christ that I see preached in the Bible. Because they leave out important elements of the gospel. And the church is not doing what the early church did. And that's what we write and show you over and over and over and over again. So anyway, that Paul was under house arrest in Rome. Paul was, that was a topic that came up yesterday too. He said, well, wasn't Paul a Roman citizen? No, Paul was Romeos. 
you go read our articles on Paul and find out what Romeos is. It meant that he was in possession of his rights. It doesn't have anything to do with being a citizen of Rome. And that's misinformation. He was Romeos. Citizens of Rome were not called Romeos. Now, eventually, Christians called themselves Romeos in Antioch <laughs> and in the Byzantine Empire. But, no, Romeos is a Greek word that means whole. He His rights were intact. Anybody who was a centurion was automatically a citizen of Rome. Here you have the head of the court coming in saying, You're Romeos? I had to pay a great sum for that. Well, he wouldn't have to pay anything for it if he was in this, he was a centurion. And if he was the head of the centurions, he wouldn't have to pay a dime for it. He would automatically be a citizen of Rome. They're not talking about citizen of Rome. They're talking about being in possession of his rights. And a lot of these people in Virginia think they're in possession of their rights. They have sold their rights. They have sold their birthright for a pot of porridge, a pot of benefits. Now, they can get it back, but they have to turn around their thinking and actually start doing what Christ said. Because Christ is the only way. Christ's way is the only way. You can call him Yeshua, you can call him Jesus, you can call him, but you have to go the way he's talking about. You don't know the way he's talking about, and you probably won't hear about it in your local churches. You will hear about it with us. But we are not your salvation either. The spirit that was in Christ... That spirit of willingness to sacrifice for other people's rights as much as for your own. That is where you'll find your salvation. That is where you'll find the spirit of Christ. If you are not willing to go that way, Christ will not be in you. I don't care how many times you repeat the word or say words. It's not what you say. It's what you do. Christ said it. So, anyway, uh, and then we also talk about Paul, and I, I won't go into it here, but I evidently have to fix some of this stuff, that this Claudia that they mentioned in the Bible, who was named by the Emperor Claudius, was originally named Gladys, and she lived in the Platium uh, Britannicum, along with a king from Great Britain, uh, Caradoc. And that so that uh, she actually was married to Paul's, half-brother's son named Rufus. And they had two daughters who later play a prominent role in Christian society. If you don't know all these things, you don't really understand the relationship of these people and and what was going on at that particular time and where the conflict was. Because eventually they outlawed private religion. That's what Christianity was. It was private religion as opposed to public religion. Almost all the public religions at that time were operating by force, forcing the contributions of the people. So we know Rome would not stand, the same as Saul would not. His kingdom would not stand as long as he was using force. You look up our article on Foolish, that preparing you. As long as you're using force, you're not going to stand. And so understanding that and then going back and reading reading the letter to the Philippians is going to give you a different image of what you're reading because we're giving you the context in which it was written. That a lot of people talk about this a particular epistle uh, having a high-developed uh, ecclesiology. But then what the heck is ecclesiology? I mean, it comes from the word ecclesia, which means called out. That's one of the things whenever you say the word church. So I went to church. The word church means the called out. 
So you went to the called out? No, you think you went to church because you went to this building, sang some songs and said some prayers. That's not what the word means. That's that's one of those words they don't actually properly translate. The the word church comes from church A, which actually could mean temple. Uh, it had a number of meanings throughout. But church is not a... Ecclesia doesn't mean temple. It means the called out. Called out for what? To help you practice pious performance of your duty to God and your fellow man. To help you take care of the needy of your society. So you don't have to eat at the table of rulers, which is a snare. They serve you deceitful dainties. They will cause you to run towards death. That's what it says in Proverbs. Uh, You will be snared like the bird who sits there and sees the net and still flies into it. Because you're greedy for gain. You want benefits at the expense of others. I mean, how many times does it repeat this over and over and over again? Throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. If you're covetous, you have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. If you desire benefits from men who exercise authority, you're doing contrary to Christ. Write it down. Think about now. That's good news. To know that. To accept that. Because now you can do something about it. You can start doing what Christ said to do about it. And not what your pastor has been saying to do about it. There's only one true denomination and that is the denominator of Christ. What Christ said. The church, if it preaches any other doctrines other than what he preached, it's not his church. That's what makes it a his church is that it not only preaches his doctrines, but it helps people perform the duties associated with those doctrines. That's what the ecclesia is called out to do. It's called out because it's supposed to be separate from the world. It can't, you may be taking the benefits of the world and in the process of turning around, seeking the kingdom of God. But the ordained ministers of Christ, the apostles, were idiotists. They were unregistered. They are not taking the benefits of the world. And in our, the book we have free online, free church report, and join the network and start learning the things. Ask the questions of the ministers on the network. And if they don't have the answers, we'll, we'll show you where they are. They're all available. But the real answer is Christ. We're just showing you that what you've been taught is not true. And if you want to know the whole truth, you have to pursue it. You have to be willing to see it. You have to be willing to realize that you have been deceived and sometimes under a strong delusion so that you believe a lie. And one of those lies is that it is okay to take from your neighbor and still think that you're following Christ. To covet your neighbor's goods is not following Christ. It's doing contrary to Christ. So this ecclesiology presents at least two questions. Is the church a visible or earthly corporation or an unified and visible society or institution appointed by Christ himself? Well, we talk about the body of Christ. If you said that in Latin, it would be the corpus of Christ, which is what a corporation... A corporation is two or more people gathered together as if they're one person. The Levites were called out. They were the called out in the wilderness. And they had a number of criteria placed on them by Moses 
to be those Levites. It wasn't always of the tribe of Levite, but it was always adopted into this tribe of Levite by one means or another. But anyway, so because most of the guys who came out first were Levites, so that's why that became the Levite tribe. But they had to meet these qualifications because they literally belong to God. They are the representatives of God on earth. That's what the Levites were supposed to be doing. They weren't to rule over the people. They operated whatever they were doing entirely by free will offerings. It repeats that over and over again. The Corbin of the Phar- uh, of the Levites was free will offerings. The Corbin of the four Pharisees was not free will offerings because Herod had created this system where you sign up and you had to pay in. And that's why Christ condemned them for their Corbin because it was making the word of God to an effect. The other thing is, 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 is the church this body of all believing Christians? Now, we'll have to take that up this afternoon in this afternoon show and then we'll get into Philippians but join the network start finding out we've got lots of recordings lots of books all free to start figuring out what it what the kingdom looks like until then peace on your house and may God be with you God bless You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.